The best books are those that tell you what you know already. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we talk all things audiobooks with myself, Ramia Amadin, and Jacob Shemansky. Hello. Enter Jacob. Hello. And uh, technical producer Nisreen Abdelmajid is actually not with us for the next few weeks. She's hanging out mm. post-wedding, having a good time. That's Anyways, fine. We'll give her a break this time. We will. Yeah. For the next like couple episodes. And then she better be back in like gung Better than ever. Yeah. Like 50 books in, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Anyways, do we sound different today, Jacob? Because we're not like together as we usually are in Studio 5 at AMI headquarters. I, I don't like know. I guess that out. remains to be seen. Oh, or heard. Maybe we'll get some feedback from listeners. Like, why do you guys mm. sound like this this week? Anyway. They will let us know slash complain about it. Yeah. Yeah. But don't, guys. Because, you know, I said to Jacob, playing to our insecurities out here. Uh, this is just what it is. <laughs> the quote of the week <laughs> is from 1984 by George Orwell. Any reason why you picked this one? Since we're going to be talking about banned books Hmm. a little later in the episode, um, George Orwell, 1984 by George Orwell, was obviously something that was banned quite a bit. Now, I know that sounds like a surprise to you because it's like required reading in a bunch of schools and it's not that controversial, but in China, you better believe that book is banned to hell because... Uh, it must be pretty eerie to be in a surveillance state like they are over there in China yeah. and uh, be able to read this book. So um, that's why I picked it. Yep, exactly. And we're going to get into that uh, banned book week as well as censorship and all of that later, later. Um, but we are first going to get into another fabulous book club question that we came up with. We're so good at coming up with these questions, mostly Jacob. Um, mm-hmm. And it has to do with what makes a great read for us, like our enjoyment of a read and what that means. There's mm-hmm. some rating involved and uh, lots of great responses this time around, too. And as I said, book banning, censorship, that's later on. But first, let's talk about what's on the CELA homepage. This is the Center for Equitable Library Access, which, by the way, if you've been following the show for um, three-ish seasons, then you'd think that we're talking to CELA today, the first episode of the month, but we've pushed them forward to next week. So that's just a programming note. Here are the three titles on the homepage at celalibrary.ca. 19 Steps by Millie Bobby Brown. And... um. I didn't know Millie Bobby Brown was writing, so that's where I'm at with that one. Yeah, she is now. <laughs> Doppelganger by Naomi Klein and Reykjavik, a crime story by Ragnar Jonasson. Okay, so these are the three titles up there that you can check out. And of course, their catalog is just packed with audiobooks of all kinds. And they have different categories there you can search by, keyword search, all kinds of ways that you can get into your audiobook listening. Right. And I think this is something we don't say often enough, is that CELA is available freely to anyone who's a CNIB member yes. in Canada. And what is this? what it essentially is, is a free library. You can get uh, books in all sorts of alternative formats, totally free. And the website is fantastic. They have a huge catalog, like especially popular books, they're more likely than not going to be available in mm-hmm. audiobook format, even Braille, and um, accessible text formats. Exactly. Printability, it's easy as uh, sending them your proof of CNIB and um, being able to get right onto the access. Do you use, I use the uh, Dolphin Easy Reader app with CELA, with the CELA catalog. Do you use that as well or something else? Yeah, I've heard that one works great. I use VoiceStream Reader. 
oh, which I popular, bought yeah. back in the day, but I think it's gone up quite a bit in price and apparently has moved to a subscription model, which gives me the ics a little bit. But because I bought it before they made the switch, yep. uh, I can still use it you freely. You got grandfathered it's, in? Yeah, I got grandfathered in, exactly. And the thing I love about it is, you're going to appreciate this, Rams, is you can adjust the playback rate very precisely. <sighs> you don't just get 1.1 or 1.2, 1.3. So nice. You can do like 1.23, 1.24. Because sometimes it's too fast and then you bring it down one notch and then it's too slow. It's like too you slow. want it right in between. Right? Okay, see, I'm telling you, you're on my level with this conversation. That's why I love the Audible player, which, by the way, you pointed this out a while back to me and I've been noticing it ever since it's taking forever to audible uh, for audible to load up these days forever yeah. i'm waiting like upwards of 15 seconds for uh, the audible app to open so if you guys are listening audible please help and fix that but yeah, anyway it's an absolute behemoth of an app i don't is. know why i don't know what's going on what in the background waiting it's on? crazy my goodness um <laughs> anyway <laughs> i need to get to my audiobooks now uh but also the the um dolphin easy reader app the playback speed settings are not at all precise you go from like one to 1.25 yeah to 1. no 5 that's not enough options that's not enough options it's super frustrating it, like it guys is. it sounds super nitpicky it can really make or break a book it i swear to god it makes or breaks you know i want my audiobook just under 10 hours but not from 12 hours to eight right so all right so we have um things we want to get to in the last episode we talked about ranking elements of a book for personal employment uh, employment personal enjoyment right and preference and that i think spun into this like formal question that we put out to the book club here are the four elements that you brought up jacob plot writing setting characters and we're no way trying to influence your decision with the way that we've put these. You can just put it in whatever order you want. So we're elaborating on this because obviously the topic is very deep um, and it can go anywhere and everywhere. Some people had some very deep thoughts on this, myself included. I actually wrote down exactly what I want to read. And other people are like, this is the obvious answer. So the question to the book club, I'm going to read it out the way we sent it out. Rank the following four book elements in order of personal importance in regards to your enjoyment of a book setting plot writing characters in other words based on your personal reading preferences rank these from most to least important and describe your thought process behind your ranking and why you value certain elements over others Mm -hmm. And this is a question for the book club, but it's obviously for us too, Rams, because yep. I want to know where you stand on this because, listen, I know your reading preferences a little bit, but I have no clue what you're going to say. So how about you start us off with this and give us your personal ranking? Okay. All right. Here we go. So this is my response. I wrote it down nice and clean because, you know, I thought I might as well get nicely into it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the most prep I've ever done. Okay, ready? We appreciate it. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, here's what I said. Writing, characters, plot, setting. That's most to least, okay? So if the writing is less than absolutely engaging, then I'm not engaging in the book. I'm not a completionist, so I don't have a problem dropping a book that's written poorly. It has amateur writing styles or just doesn't live up to my expectations of what clean, thoughtful writing is. Writing is honestly what anchors the rest of these elements for my enjoyment. Hmm. 
write me into the lives and personalities of the characters, write me a believable plot that I can follow the characters on, and write the dimensions of a vivid setting that I can immerse myself into. There's a very crucial trust building that connects the author and reader together through the experience and a trust that commits us to the journey. That trust only happens through the language, a.k.a. the writing. And then I put deep, right? So, (laughs) should we get into the examples or you want to go first? Setting last. I'd like to unpack this. A a lot of people seem to be putting setting last. Mm. Mm, Is it because we think of it as a given? Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. But you put writing first. Yes. Right? That doesn't surprise you, does it? I've talked about writing as the only reason why Addie LaRue was the best book ever. <laughs> I have been very clear about my stance on writing. Maybe writing as like such an important aspect might be a bit more. I don't feel like it's a game breaker for me. Like Really? I don't. It's not that I need the writing to be a 10 out of 10. It's that it better be better than a 5 out of 10. Right? Oh, God, if it, it's a five out of ten, forget it. I'm not even going to pick up this book. Right. But if the writing is adequate, I can still absolutely love a book. What right? does adequate mean to you, though? Adequate is passable. It's oh, like a no. burger from I McDonald's. It's not good, but like, <laughs> you still, you still like it. It's only good you know? when you're drinking a little. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Passable writing or adequate writing can only carry so much. And as I said, okay, we have actually heard from many people, including yourself, Jacob, who are very much identify as completionists. Like you guys will Mm -hmm. pick up books and have to read through them no matter what. So I think that's why you're willing to lower the bar a little bit. Are we starting the psychoanalyzing early on this episode? You're willing to like lower the bar on writing. Whereas for me, I never feel the obligation to finish a book ever. And I'm so upfront about that. So, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's your yeah, time. You can do whatever exactly. the hell you want with it. Like, you don't mm-hmm. owe the authors anything. If a book isn't doing it for you, then that that's not an issue at all. I'm a completionist because it's like I don't know. It's just I don't know if you want to unpack this or not. <laughs> I am. Um, I don't know. I just don't want to leave things unfinished. It leaves me unsatisfied. I and I feel like I cannot put a judgment on a book unless I read all the way through it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you're already willing to kind of put up with whatever to get through a book, then I think that automatically comes with lowering your expectations on or, you know, finding other things to focus on to kind of get you through the book, right? Because we're not going to, oh, God, this book is trash. However, I must continue reading. It's very not like any of us or you know it's no I, I don't blame anyone for not mm-hmm. finishing books like that's yes. fine we have yeah. long busy lives and dedicating <laughs> eight to 40 hours to a book like it's a lot yeah it's and a only lot. so much speed change you can do right <laughs> without yeah. it compromising I, your experience i think about this sometimes how much of a time commitment an audiobook is because oh, so if you much. watch a season of a tv show it's probably what like 10 episodes an hour ish each that's 10 hours the average audiobook is like 10 to 15 hours. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. Oh, it's a lot. Even if you're doing other things, even if it's a multitasking situation, it's just a lot out of your day, out of your week that you're spending on this particular form of, I don't know, engagement. 
Right? That's why when somebody tells me, oh, I'm a huge bookworm, I'm like, okay, this person dedicates a lot of time to this. Very yeah, clearly. No, for sure. Okay, okay I'd so, like to tell you my, yes, my ranking, go. okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, number one, plot. Number two, characters. Number three, writing. And number four, setting. Mm. What, what do you, what do you uh, analyze from my ranking? Well, obviously, I heard you when you said number three, writing. Um, but you put setting last as well. Yeah, I put setting last too because ultimately the setting doesn't really shape a story that much, right? If if a book is good, in my opinion, it's the characters that drive the story. Yeah, like you can write a book placed anywhere. You can write a book that takes place in a room called room and the entire thing is that. That's the setting. You know, you're not really focusing on it. You're just kind of letting yourself or letting people know this is where it's happening. I mean, Mm -hmm. it could, setting could really drive a plot, though, and drive us into the minds of characters. So I do think we're underestimating the power of setting, at least in our ranks. I'm a big fantasy fan. And fantasy is all about setting. So you might think that I would want to put setting last, right? Uh, Setting very high up, right? Mm, I don't care if it's an amazing world with like fantastic world building well like i want to read a story that's i'm not there for the world i'm there for the story Mm. but then there's worlds built around worlds and you'd think okay yeah setting is what made this happen like the um uh, harry potter series right hogwarts and all of the elements that just was setting that now we can immerse ourselves in in real life like at Universal Studios or whatever, because it's built around this place in fantasy. Mm. Now, what we wanted to do was to each of us give an example of a book or a series that is very representative of one of these elements that particularly excels in one of these elements. And I'd say Harry Potter is excellent in terms of setting. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to read Harry Potter to feel like they're being transported to Hogwarts. It's magical. It's something we can all remember. And you can feel like you can really picture the the hallways and the classrooms and the dormitories and Hogwarts. It's so vivid and you just want to be there. And sometimes you kind of forget that there's a story wrapped around it. Exactly. No, seriously, like in our... uh, there's this nostalgia or deja vu or just cozy feeling that comes with reading the Harry Potter series uh, when you move from one book to the other where you go, oh, we're back there again. Like we're back on the train. We're back at uh, Ron Weasley's house. We're back at Hogwarts. She just does, J.K. Rowling, just does an incredible job painting. She does that so well that the setting really does transport you. Mm-hmm. And listen, we both put it as the fourth most important element. That yes. doesn't mean it's not important. All no. of these things really contribute to enjoyment. It's just we had to make a ranking for the sake of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, I think it's true that we take some of these elements as givens, right? Or, you know, we'll get into that as we read through some of these um, responses we had from the book club. But for me, mm-hmm. setting was always kind of like, yeah, it's the background thing. Of course, we're set where we are. But then you think about books like... Um, I already mentioned Room, but Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins, which is a a book that I recently read, Mm -hmm. where you're following this woman around on the train, essentially. For most of the book, that's what you're getting. So it just, the setting gives you an ideal place to get into the minds of the characters and and get to know her personalities, her uh, 
story. But this particular setting is what puts you in that space to kind mm-hmm. of focus in on something else. And I thought that was interesting or it's interesting when books are written that way. What is a book that, in your opinion, really exemplifies excellent plotting? I couldn't pick just one. Mm, I feel like okay, you need to go first it. on this because plot is your top. Okay, I'll oblige. Okay. Uh, the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. Ooh. Okay, so this book, uh, the series is 14 books long with the average length being like 30 hours each. So there better be plot in this thing. And is there ever? There's a ton of characters and there's always something happening. It's it's a series that I'd say really earns its length. It's not long for nothing. And it doesn't, when you're reading one of the books, it doesn't feel long because it really actually has a surprisingly fast pace. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, does it stand out for plot for you or is it just something that even when you think back at the series, it's the plot was just done so well that you hold up plot to such a high standard? Something that big Wheel of Time fans will say is that the Wheel of Time series, you're going to laugh at this, is mm. even better on second read. <laughs> Get out. Why? Because <laughs> yeah, you're familiar now or what? Because you're familiar and Robert Jordan is amazing at plotting and foreshadowing and planning ahead. So for example. So now you're like in the know about it. Which yes, makes exactly. It even more and you, you can digest- see things happening in the yes, background. Yes. And um, one of the things that he does is, for example, in the prologue of book three, it sets up the climax of book six. Whoa. And all of these, th- like, you get oh, he answers. That far ahead. Yeah, that far ahead. And you get payoffs in like reveals for mysteries that were established like four books previous to the point where you forgot it was even a mystery. Like something gets revealed, you're like, oh, that's why that happened that way four books ago. And it's super satisfying. And when you reread the series a second time, everything just clicks into place and you just really appreciate how Robert Jordan like planned everything. And this is something I find when you're listening to a book that's well plotted is you feel like you're in good hands. It doesn't feel Mm. like an author just winging it. You can trust that this is going somewhere and this is building to something. Okay, that's interesting. So is the opposite of that trying to predict what's going on or things that are taking too long to get somewhere? Because you mentioned this with Invisible Life of Adi LaRue, right? Where you're like, wow, this went on for 16 hours before something <laughs> happened. You know, I'm paraphrasing. But the that idea of like, where is this going? I don't know if uh, you know where this is going kind of thing. It feels like sometimes the authors are just having fun with it and they're just trying to set up a mood. And I don't know. I, I'm i not cool with that. It it just bores me. But that's a personal preference. Right, right. Well, we're talking about personal preferences. That's fair. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to ask you as well. What, like, how high does the climax have to be for it to affect your um your ranking of the plot? Or, you know, your rating of a plot in a story. So Highly. That's a really good point. Yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, does it have to build up and the cranking of what's about to happen, does it have to be crazy good um, for you to feel like it hit the spot where plot needs to get for it to be a really good plot? Yeah. It, for a plot to be solid and engaging to me, it has to work as a as a whole from start to finish. Right, because if it doesn't have a good ending, then the entire thing collapses. It has mm. to be, it has to be built like a pyramid, right? 
solid, yes. like solid foundation and then has an apex that's like held up by everything that happened before it. And does it have to be unpredictable? Like if you can tell mm. where the plot is going and it's not necessarily a twist right at that point, is that disappointing? You're asking me, but like, do you not care about plot? I don't understand. I, I, the thing is, I don't rank it so high. Like, I'm, you know, I'm mm. surprised if I'm surprised. It, um, if I can kind of follow, like, oh, I think this is what's going to happen. You know, especially when we're talking about mysteries, right? So, I, you start like suspecting or wondering if this is what's going on, just trying to fill in the gaps, investigating along with the characters. Uh, I don't mind if I was right, but I'm curious if for people who are really putting plot high up there on a pedestal, if it's if you were able to predict how things are going to pan out, if that does feel disappointment, uh, feel disappointing, especially with I'm, fantasy, because there's yeah. so much room to play. I'm not good at predicting. Uh, Same. Probably because I don't try. I know some people have a lot of fun with that, trying to predict what's going to happen. I think that a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Yep. But if something is predictable, it depends to what extent. Because there's there's a difference between incredibly obvious and I have a pretty good idea that this is going to happen. And what's mm. more important to me is how do you get from point A to point B? I don't care what point B is necessarily. Mm. It's how you get there that really matters. And okay, so how you get the there journey. is through plot. Yes. Okay, that's actually a really interesting way of looking at it because I always mm. thought of plot as like caring so much what point B is. But you're talking about it's still the journey, but like take me on it. Can we um take this moment to play one of the responses? We got a response from Sarah Hillis. Uh, yeah. on the question and I think that she describes what you're describing really well this is a great question I think that uh it might even seem really obvious to people if if they're not really thinking about it but when you when you sit down and actually try to think about this question it's an interesting one um I really think that for me character is the most important thing in a fiction book because uh you want characters that are well drawn so that you understand what they're doing and why they're doing it um then then it's writing because uh, I, I i can have a less than perfectly written book uh with great characters i'm happy with that then i think it's setting actually because either like a really well-built world or a world that's sparsely enough drawn that i can put my own kind of spin on it i like either one actually but I do, I do like a setting that's well, uh, you know, it's vivid, a vivid setting. Uh, and then, and then I think the f- the the lowest rung on the ladder is plot. Interestingly enough, um, I'm not a plotter as when I write. I don't sit down and plot every little twist. I let the characters do what they do, and then the plot kind of comes from that. And I think that's the kind of book I like. That that you know, it's just the characters are making choices. It's not like Oh look! A handsome stranger walked into town, and that, like, no, no. It, I, I like a plot that proceeds from the characters' choices. Uh, so it's it's the lowest rung on the ladder. Actually, they're all pretty high, of course. But uh, I think I think for me, a character first, then writing, then setting, and then plot. 
Okay, so let's break down all the things that she brought up, right? So starting with character, uh, she said you want characters that are well-drawn. And, you know, we can all agree with that. And we'll get into some other responses that talk about character. Writing, less than perfectly um, written book with good characters. She's down with that. The setting, which was her third ranking. So she was wanting up us on that. Uh, okay. She said a setting that's vivid is helpful for her. And for the plot, which she put last... This is what I find interesting. I don't okay, sit down Sarah. and plot every little twist. The characters are making choices. I like a plot that proceeds from the characters' choices. So she's kind of talking about the characters driving the plot and how she's not backseat driving that. A lot of us do, though. Like when we're watching horror movies or... um investigating investigative things we are predicting or find it engaging to continue try to predict what's going on george r R. martin the author of song of ice and fire the series that um, game of thrones is based on had a really awesome uh bit in one of his interviews where he talks about the different types of authors Uh, he splits them up into two groups the architects and the gardeners the architects are the plotters. They're the people who plan out absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. They don't exactly share how they're going to get from point A to point B, but they have the skeleton firmly constructed before they start mm-hmm. anything. And the gardeners are the ones that plant the seed and watch it grow. And the gardeners are typically the authors that have really, really fascinating characters because it's the characters that drive the plot. But one thing that's a, that he says about gardeners is that Sometimes his characters surprise him where he doesn't Ooh. he doesn't tell himself this character is going to do this and then that and then this and then that. He just gets to a certain point in the story and tells him tells himself, okay, based on what's happened to this character so far in the story and what I know of his personality, how would they react naturally? And then he goes from there. It's like he doesn't even have a choice in the matter. Yes. He planted a seed and then watched it grow. Yes. And sometimes he doesn't even know where he found himself. This is brilliant because I feel like in my, you know, years of reading, Stephen King talks about this as well and does Mm. this very, very well. So that's why for characters, I picked It by Stephen King, because as, as, as much as it is a really, really, really long investment of a book, it is brilliant for character development and not even just character development, but you just go in and as you learn about the characters, you instantly, at least for me, I instantly start to feel invested in whatever the book has to offer. And it's because the characters we feel so real, feel so alive. And in his book on writing, um, which is kind of a guide to writing, but also like he talks about the way he writes. Right. I need to get to that one. That oh, one sounds so amazing. You've mentioned Seriously, it multiple times. It's I short. need to. It's short. You can short? get through okay. it. Um, but in that book, he talks about that. And in interviews, I've heard him talk about that as well, where like it, you, you're so – you embody the character so much as you write and it just comes out of you that there is a point where you might feel frustration that the character is going to do this or the <laughs> character has put itself in – put themselves in this predicament. But you can't turn back now. Like that's inauthentic. And you may have had different plans for this book, but that's not the way it's working out. And that's just the way it is. 
And it's so brilliant. You can honestly tell that that kind of real um, organic process for the gardeners, I guess, as you mentioned uh, mm-hmm. in this reference, for people like Stephen King, for authors like Stephen King, who just go with whatever the characters bring into them. Now, I'm not going to mention, uh. maybe offhandedly, that he did talk about his journey on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey. the, and the kind of influence that drugs had during his writing process. He was very honest about that. Um, but, yo, seriously, like it's it's such an interesting thing to think about. What is the makes a good character? Is it all about believability for characters, whether that's bad or good? Like, I'd actually argue that following characters that are that feel fleshed out and actually human and the way they react to things and their thoughts on things just feels consistent Mm. and like they actually are an individual. It's not an author manipulating them. Right. And a bit of a side note, but it's super frustrating when characters do things out of character because it doesn't... You don't believe them. Yeah, because then you're just reading words on paper and it's like, what, what are we reading? But I find that celebrity culture is kind of like just following characters, whether they're oh. bad or good, right? For 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 better or for worse, these people are consistent in their actions. And it's kind of fascinating just because, because they're consistent, things happen to them and then they react to it the way they do. And if it's unpredictable, if they're not consistent, then it's like mm. there's nothing to follow there. It's it's not interesting, but if a character is consistent in their reactions to things, then it's super engaging. And I think that applies to celebrities and characters in fiction. It's so true. Like in a nutshell, if you don't trust that the character is who they are, and you don't trust that. And it, it's happening through the writing. But essentially, you're kind of leaving the author out of it. You're walking alongside the character and you're, you know, unconsciously just taking in what they're doing, who they are. And that's why some books honestly even feel so short. Like, you know, these these new like YA romance titles that are just so short. They're just you right. can get through five books in a month or a mm-hmm. week or two because they're just meant for these like quick snippets of uh, I don't know, like a glance at this romance or this situation, whatever. And yes, it has like the beginning, middle and end. But at and at some point you're thinking like, eh, it just doesn't feel real enough. Like it doesn't feel like this character, these characters have gone on this path together or have built this story. It doesn't feel like the author has put in any effort to in make us invest. They're also, they're kind of giving us like a, um, a formula, but not, it doesn't feel real. You're reading and, archetypes, not characters. Yes, That's exactly. the difference, right? It's, here's a character. It's formulaic. And here's who he is. Yeah. You know, he's got uh, this, this, and this about him, and she's got this, this, and this about her, and oh my gosh, they're on this dark cross journey together. On the topic of characters, I like to quickly plug an author which i think is amazing at character writing yeah joe abercrombie he's a fantasy writer he typically does like a grim dark fantasy like really a brooding dark depressing fantasy it's a whole genre Mm. his books span multiple multiple uh, points of view from different characters and it's always first person 
And one thing you'll always hear readers of Joe Abercrombie say is that his character voice is amazing. Because if you go from one character's chapter point of view, based on like the first sentence, you know automatically who it is just because of the way it's written. It's as if every time you change point of view, it's a new writer. Like you feel so, you get such an amazing glimpse at the character's psyche just by the internal monologue and the narration happening around them. One of the responses from the book club uh, was from Ryan Huey. I'm just reading a bit because we're talking about characters mm-hmm. is uh, he ranked characters first. First of all, he went into a bunch of stuff about narration, but he's talking about loving to hate characters. The ones that get under your skins, yeah. skin are the best, and these anti-heroes as well. Does that speak to the opposite point of trusting a character, or is that just the frustration we have with how um, complex a character can be and relating to the complexities of being human? I mean, some humans are pretty vile and despicable. That doesn't mean that their motivations aren't not understandable or explainable, but, but you can see where they come from. Yeah. You, under, you sort of understand their messed up psychology. Yes. And yes. that's the best villains to me are the ones that you're like, I get it. I get it. Like, you're yep. wrong, but I get it. Yep. And you're saying villains. For me, sometimes that's the the hero, right? Like there are times where we put uh, heroes and, and protagonists up on pedestals and then they show us their vulnerable or flawed side and then we're like, no, <laughs> how could you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's true. Um, Ryan was also talking about narration. If narrator can perform a, a book so great that uh, it offsets how bad the writing can be again paraphrasing um it turns the tide he says so that's Mm. just kind of making a distinction between reading in print and listening to an audiobook because we talked about this over the weekend jay like um there are memoirs like born a crime by trevor noah um son of a critch by mark critch where people have being turned off the book or just not as engaged and interested because uh, they tried to read it in print. And then Mm. if they went to audio next, or, you know, if you compare their notes to people who've listened to the audiobooks, the performance is actually so stellar, it brings out the writing. It three-dimensionalizes it. To give an example of this, like in Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, he does, he narrates his own book, and he does impressions of his cousins and his friends. And you yeah. just know that it's so genuine because he knew these people. He actually knew them. Like he's really doing an impression. Yeah. He's not creating a character. It's incredibly genuine. It's one of my favorite things about that book. His performance is amazing. Should we go through more responses? Yeah, absolutely. So I have one here from Danielle McLaughlin. Let me read this one. For me, it's all about the writing. If a book is poorly written, I drop it or launch it across the room. <laughs> Hope you got a drywaller on speed dial. <laughs> I enjoy well-developed characters, of course. And the setting can be quite compelling. But if the writing is awful, nothing will save the book for me. And I'm quite fussy, too. There are quite a few badly written books that become popular. Just not with me, I'm afraid. 
Yeah, she's really picky and fussy, as she says, but I love that. She actually told me offline that she's <laughs> read a couple of more than a couple stinkers lately from the book club that she's part of, such so as really looking for a good recommend. Oh. Also, she's recommended incredible books to us, by the way, over the years. They're There by Tommy Orange. Okay. Freaking fascinating book. Um, okay. Indigenous fiction. Good recommendations from Daniel McLaughlin. This is actually, when it comes to recommendations, you tend to trust certain people more than others. Yes. Right. Yeah, You need to find the good tastemakers. The tastemakers. Ah, yeah. And especially if they rank similar to how you rank. Like, obviously, that's why this question is so fascinating to me. Because now I feel like just going through the book club responses, I know who I could take recommendations from because they prioritize what I prioritize. Like, Danielle, you know, her... um, on writing uh who did anybody talk about plot as their first rank uh nobody it was just me Uh, (laughs) i'm the only one that put it first well okay here i have a i don't know if you know but i added this late i have a a response from rocky kareem and he says plot and character have to be one and two and if you have a good plot and good characters it's a given that the writing is good I disagree with that completely. Um, and there are some books that have decent enough writing, but the plot and character really makes the story. So I think it's, again, like this understanding that what you're looking for is what makes the book for you. Because if you're not necessarily focusing on the writing, like you're focusing on that plot development and the arc, um, then that's what you're kind of going for, right? Whereas for me, if the writing, Hmm. you can talk all about the plot, but if the writing is slow, it's not descriptive enough, you're not giving me much inside the characters' minds or whatever it is, I don't know. Uh, It's rushed. There's times where I feel like the writing is just so rushed. Like you're trying to take me somewhere, but I'm like, I'm not ready yet. I don't feel invested. Okay. Well, I think we need to define something here. When you talk about writing, I Mm -hmm. think Raki makes a good point that if the plot and the characters are good, then it's a given and the writing is good. I think there is some truth to that. Because How? like what what's the what, what establishes what's the good given? plot? What's and the writing? What, is the question? writing just how you describe things? Is the writing just how you describe things? Or no. is it how you choose to arrange the elements of a book? Oh. Right? Like no. I, I think oh, okay. writing is a very okay. vague term. And maybe we should have defined it a little bit more because, because it seems like people have had different We're going ideas of what it real actually time. is. All right. Mm. Arranging the elements. <sighs> like if we think about essay writing kind of thing, like are you making sense with the way that you've um Right. Is your book logical? Are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are your characters are your characters consistent in their actions? Are they believable? Yes. Are you that's, flipping that's writing, from thing is it not? to thing to thing? Okay. Yeah, but isn't that really plot? No, you're right. It's not plot. There's this gray area that we're we're tapping into right now. Yeah, I think we're realizing now that writing is a bit of an overarching. Yes, thing. <laughs> I'm thinking of style. I'm thinking style. of writing style. I'm thinking okay, of yeah. good I t- writing. Yeah, as... yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. It's um I think people call it prose. Prose. Right? Just yeah. the way the way an yeah. author writes that makes it distinctively theirs. It's their idiosyncrasies that exactly. can be there for better or for worse. Um I'm glad my mom died by Jeanette McCurdy. She mm-hmm. has this very like 
snippy. Oh, how do you even? How do I even describe the way she writes? It's Passive just aggressive? short. Yes, but like <laughs> short sentences, quick, witty thoughts. You know, the chapters that end on just like whoa. You know, like she doesn't try to nicely wrap things or um, you know make you comfortable. She just kind of writes it as if she was on edge the entire time, and I loved it. There was that bit of angst that she. I'm sure she was feeling because of the the way that she, you know, describes different things in the books. Mm. And that's the style that she paralleled the writing with. Or it, you know. Do you think that was something that was done on purpose or oh, just yeah. came up naturally from the author because that's what she was feeling at the time? Well, fair question uh, or fair distinction. I, I think it naturally yeah. came to her, but she obviously went with it at a, mm. as a choice. Mm. You know, and she was didn't, it enjoyable? Uh, because that yes. sounds like it can be quite abrasive. It was abrasive, but I enjoyed it because it also worked with the, you know, it's the pacing that's abrasive, but it worked with how long the book was, the kind of content that we were digging into. Um, it was quite meaningful. And I think if it was written in another way, it wouldn't have hit as hard as it did. So that's what I'm talking about when it comes to writing. So we gave everyone four elements to rank, but I think it's pretty fair to say that there are more things that contribute to the enjoyment of a book. Yep. Ryan having hit on one that's really important. There's the narration. This is an audiobook show. So mm-hmm. obviously that mm-hmm. it's a big one. But I'd argue that also the your, this is something we touched on last episode, is your expectations going into a book. If you're expecting this to be a slow burn and it's just like rapid fire, like you weren't you weren't prepared for that. And sometimes it can take you off guard or if it's you're expecting a, yep. a a book with a bunch of twists and turns and unpredictability and it's more of a slow burn. Like it can be off-putting a little bit. Yes. Also, genre-specific elements. For example, if you're reading a horror, uh, you're expecting to feel the heebie-jeebies a little bit. Like you want to be scared, right? If you're reading a mystery, you want to have something to decipher. You want to have something to, to have to work through. You want to work your brain a little bit, right? Mm. Another thing is relatability. If it's something that is kind of niche, like it might spe- like mean nothing to other people, but to you because it's something you've lived through, it, it really speaks to you because of your personal experience. And also just personal niche interests. Like if you're really into baseball, you're going to like books about baseball. It, that's simple. Like there's a lot of things that can contribute to to the enjoyment of a book that are outside of the four elements that we gave you. Yeah. No, this is really good. And I think that we um, can wrap here and maybe go through some other things later on. But honestly, we touched on so much that, A, I think uh, makes me understand my relationship with books a little better. But also, it's interesting that you did it this way, Jacob, when you posed the question where you just kind of chunked out different elements um, and made it very like broad enough so that we can relate to each other on different aspects, but also um, understand that like a, a book experience can feel so different from person to person, depending on how, what you're taking in and how you're taking it in. Right. This kind of served as a bit of a, um, it's like a psychotherapy session trying yeah. to, get to understand yourself a little better. You know, it feels like we're uh, getting really good at the psychoanalyzing that we said <laughs> we hated so much. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, Maybe it's good for something. <laughs> it's good for something. It's good for the show. <laughs> We're going to take a break and come back to talk about Banned Books Week, which is wrapping up today, October 7th. And we're discussing the culture of book banning as it stands today in 2023. Um, there's a lot going on still. 
You're listening to AMI Audiobook Review. We'll be right back. Welcome back to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. Jacob Shemansky and myself, Ramia Amadan, are hanging out with you for a bit longer. We, um, we want to talk about Banned Books Week a little bit. So October 1st to the 7th was Banned Books Week. Uh, if you're listening on the day that this podcast released, then we're at the tail end of it now. And we know... That this is still a thing, Jacob, like around the world, even around North America, lots of different um, ways that A, books are still being censored and banned and B, we're celebrating like the complete opposite. We're celebrating um, the fact that we have books and have discussions around why censorship is so ugly as well. So there's just so much going on around the across the spectrum. The American Library Association um, documented 1,269 demands to censor library books. That was the highest number since Oof. they started doing so more than 20 years ago. Just to give you an idea, like that's a massive uptick. That's wild. And the thing is, the books that are being requested to be banned are very different than what they used to be as well. It's always culturally relevant as to like what is what is problematic at any given time why is it so bad now why is it so bad now Mm. that's a good question i mean it always feels like things are the worst that they've ever been at any given time in history true in a way like we still are better than we ever have been like we're much more that's what than I we mean. ever have been right yeah although it feels right like we have now, more information more access yeah. to information than we ever had yeah mm-hmm. but like right now the the big issue and the big thing that's getting banned right now is lgbtq content in books yes. yep. that's the one thing that's come along with the culture war especially in the united states but also here in canada let's not lie to ourselves mm-hmm. it's definitely up front and center and i think children are really at the forefront of this it's parents yeah. saying, I don't want my kids reading this. It's not like the parents are offended by this. Is they don't want their kids reading it. Yep. And make make that what you will of it. Yeah, here's there are lots of uh like elements like drag queen story hour and right. such that are very yeah. directly correlated to this kind of challenge, right? Um and at that point we're not even like we're just outright saying, you know, ban this identity. Uh of a person so it's really something you know if even <laughs> whether you're on the side of it or not um there it's really something and uh, you want to talk about the top 10 reasons why books were banned or challenged uh, by the american library association this was in 2022 or from what is it as of 2020 yeah as of 2020 so this was before this whole craze about uh, lgbtq content books really started so to give you an idea um sexual content is at number one still 90 at 92 percent still still sexual content yeah number one i'm just at 92 (laughs) percent now to be clear when people are putting in requests to ban a book sometimes they can cite multiple reasons so that's yeah, why that's um, it's 92% well, at sexual content will always make the content. cut. And number two is offensive language at 62%. Yeah. 
right. Number three is unsuited to age group at 49%. So that's, again, that's children coming into this. Four is religious viewpoints at 26%. Mm. And five is LGBTQ content at 23.5%. I'm actually, because we hear so much in news um, and literature news about LGBTQ plus content being so badly challenged, I'm a little bit surprised that it's number five on this list. People are still offended by all these other things, like when we were talking about Taboo and Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> like all these other things are still very offensive to people. All right, carry on. Do you want to make your best guess on what's at six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Um, what do we already talk about? Offensive language? I don't know. All the other things like violence. Okay, <laughs> violence is number six. That's the next one. There you okay. go. You got it. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Um, what else haven't we covered? Is there more? What are people really pissed about these days? Seven, racism, sixteen point five percent. Okay. Eight, illegal use of substances. Substances. Oh yeah. 12.5%. Anti-family content at 7%. That seems what very... What does that even mean? Subjective. <laughs> yeah, what does that even mean? Seriously, that could be anything. <laughs> Political viewpoint at 6.5%. That's for the communists out there. <laughs> Was that it? Are we at 10? Yeah, that's 10. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. I'm just saying, like... It, what was it? Number four, the um, kids, you know, not appropriate for age group. Yeah, I that's really, right. yeah. That I think, as you mentioned earlier, is the kind of overarching thing for me. Like people are always very much like kids aren't ready for this. Kids aren't ready for that. And um, kind of withholding literature and information from children. I think that that's, that approach is all very concerning altogether. But any of these surprise you? Particularly, uh, I thought violent, violence is. being at being as low as it was surprised me. It it always goes back to this question of why is it they were so much more afraid of sex than violence, mm. right? Because one is yeah. obviously far worse than the other, but I think that mostly has to do with like the uh, the Christian values of the western world that still kind of permeate to this day even if like the fervor of that religion isn't quite where it used to be but i always find it interesting to think about the start of book banning culture and it goes all the way back to the invention of the printing press back in the 1500s oh yeah because who had the power to disseminate information back in the day it was the catholic church because they were the ones with all the scribes. They were the people who had the ears of the populace. And when the Gutenberg printing press was invented, suddenly it was the printing houses that could print whatever they chose, basically. And that information could be disseminated like really, really quickly. And it was right around that time that Pope Paul IV established in uh, 1557 the... Oh, God, I got to brush by my Latin... The Index Librorum Prohibitorum, which is a Ooh. list of books that was um, banned across um, Catholic states. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fine. We can, we can wrap up. That's fine. <laughs> no, just. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just getting over the Latin. I'm so. <laughs> No, it's really um, kind of 
crazy to think about, all right? Like, as you mentioned these historical kind of catalysts, I guess, right? Or something that was so widely, uh, I don't know, there, like happening, that it influenced our togetherness on a challenge or challenges of literature. And I think about Mm. how something happens, you know, some kind of a revolution or protest or whatever happens, even just like the changing of technology happens. And then it takes forever for the chaos to die down. And sometimes the chaos dies down and then just a new problem comes up and it breeds a whole new type of chaos, right? It just ebbs and flows. It is. It's true. It's ebbs and flows. But I think it's just, it's wild to me how the the peak and the catalyst can happen so quickly. But then for years to come, we're still going, you Mm. know, wow, we're still banning this or we still feeling those shockwaves, right? Yes. Yes. Or sometimes we ban something and then like 30 years later, you just get around to unbanning it. You're like, yeah, I feel like uh, we yeah. need to move on from this issue. Exactly. Exactly. And But you're right, though. Something else will come up and it's it's never really an ending thing. I think at some point I naively felt that there's no way that in 2023, you know, this, this, this can be the top three <laughs> challenges of a book Mm-mm. or of literature. But absolutely not. Yeah, you, you would know, think that number show. one would be like racism and hate speech right, right? That, that that's what i would for. thought would be number one yeah, yeah i think that's the stuff that everybody can agree on yeah no it's still the kinds of content. things that are, we find to be discriminatory but like no there's there's so many you know kind of deeply rooted uh, as you said religious or political um affiliations or just historically and then also you know we have to keep in mind that we're talking about this side of the world we're not even getting into just like internationally how things, how books are treated or literature oh. is treated or it's true. It's different all over the world. Culture. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like during the Cold War and during the wars of like mm-hmm. democracy versus communism, where books that were pro-communist were being banned all over the Western world, but in Russia, all these books that were like yeah. anti-communist were yeah. were getting banned. Like it's just the exact opposite. These book banning wars. This ultimately it's the fight to who gets to disseminate information. Mm-hmm. It, it is about control. It's, it is it's a, about nothing course. else. It's all about control. It's all about power and control. And, you know, we see that in the, the form of parents banding together or uh, government saying this or that, or, you know, people of power with literature, like people who have the power over literature to say, no, we can't distribute this, right? Like, And it's not... And I think today it's kind of evolved. It's not just literature that's getting banned. It's also no. websites and Wikipedia. Everything. And Any Google access to information. And a whole bunch of countries. Like, yeah. yeah, sometimes it's like next to impossible to access Wikipedia articles in certain countries because the countries or the, the governments of certain countries don't want that information out Mm-mm. there. The and eventually have... like, it's not going to be possible to control the flow of information. Like you think We'll still try, though. Oh, they'll still try. We'll still they'll try, try their best. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I said we and they said they. Oh, no. <laughs> We're running out of time yep. just about here. Um, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week we're going to check in with our friends from Sila. Karen and uh, Teresa are going to join us because they always have 
fun things to say, and we love that they join us at least once a month. Sarah Hillis is also going to give us a bit of a Know Your Narrator, so I'm looking forward to who she's featuring and what we can break down about their performances uh, and prep. And that's it. That's all we have. That's it? Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> Ramya Amuthan and Jacob Shymansky, hosts of AMI Audiobook Review. We miss technical producer Nisreen abdel Majid. I think Jacob's doing her job for the next two weeks. But anyways, we'll be back in a week. And until then, happy audiobook listening. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.